stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So the fact that he just acknowledged that Energy East um, is no longer an, an active project is just a statement of fact. I wish... Uh, that were not the case. I wish Justin Trudeau's government had not imposed ridiculous new uh, regulations that caused TC Energy to walk away from the table. Well, a lot of talk this week about a pipeline project that's been dead for three years. That was Premier Kenny talking about Energy East after Aaron O'Toole had talked about Energy East and Rachel Notley had talked about Energy East and reporters asked about Energy East. Let me play one more from the Premier here. Uh, clip number seven, uh, Jason Kenney says he still believes that a similar project could happen in the future. I think there are going to be strong prices 20, by 2022, post-recovery, because of that supply crunch. And perhaps in that context, we could see a private sector proponent come back to the table with a concept like Energy East. So a few questions here. I mean, look, ultimately, there's got to be an economic case for any kind of pipeline project. And obviously, we have a, a capacity crunch on that front, which is why we're building Line 3, Trans Mountain Expansion, and Keystone XL. If all of those projects go ahead, I don't know that we would necessarily need additional pipelines. And specifically, I don't know if we'd need one to the East Coast. There's some inherent politics in all of this. So the idea that uh, Canadian energy should be going to other Canadians, which kind of flies in the face of our push to export outside of the country. But obviously, there, there is this continued fascination. So I want to talk about why that is, whether there is an economic case to go to the East Coast, and ultimately, what did in the Energy East pipeline. Joining us on the line this afternoon, someone who's written a lot about this uh, very topic, Andrew Leach, is an energy and environmental economist, associate professor at the Alberta School of Business, University of Alberta. Andrew, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, Rob. It's nice to be back. What, what do you make? I mean, just your own thoughts on, on the fact that we seem to constantly be hearing about either Energy East specifically or, or more broadly this idea of some East-West pipeline. Uh, well, I think right now we're hearing about it because the premier needs to have a fight about something. He needs something to take the focus off the fact that our oil production numbers are dropping, oil prices are well below any sort of forecast that was in either of their budgets. We obviously have a very a steep fiscal crisis in the province, and the premier needs something to, to blame, something else to talk about. And, and so Aaron O'Toole gave him that with the Energy East uh, statement after his meeting with Premier Legault, but nonetheless, it's it's really not, shouldn't be anywhere near the top of the agenda right now. Well, it's true. I, I suppose in fairness, uh, Aaron O'Toole was asked about it, and then Rachel Notley jumped on the, uh, you know, the pile on and, and said that Aaron O'Toole had killed Energy East, and then, yeah, it was certainly the opening the Premier needed uh, to, to give his thoughts on all of this. But uh, like I say, I mean, there's there's lots of this going around, it seems. Yeah, I mean, of, of all the people who should know why Energy East met its demise, so to speak, why did TC Energy pull the trigger and cancel it? Former Premier Notley would, because they were involved as commercial partners in that project. And part of the reason that was cancelled was so that those commercial partners would be able to, without any significant cost, move their commitments to Keystone XL. 
And so she would have been part of that. She knows that it came down to essentially what you said in your intro, that there weren't enough barrels to support all of the pipeline projects. And TC Energy bet on Keystone XL. Right. And just so people recall, TC Energy, TransCanada was formerly known, um, was the initial company behind Keystone XL. That project got vetoed. They got behind the idea of, of Energy East. And then along comes Donald Trump. Keystone XL comes back to life. And it's no coincidence then that that's right around the same time when Energy East is taken off the table. Yeah, absolutely not. They And TransCanada, all of these pipeline projects are underpinned by long-term contracts with shippers for the vast majority of their capacity. And Keystone XL had had multiple calls for those types of contracts for renewed commitments, and they were undersubscribed. And so TC Energy uh, faced this possibility where they had shippers, some shippers that committed to Energy East, those shippers aren't willing to cancel their commitment to energies to bet on Keystone XL because they'd have to pay a cancellation fee. So TC Energy, if they canceled one of those two pipelines, then they'd be able to have enough shippers to support which uh, the other one, and they chose Keystone XL. And that's how pipelines work. You, you need commitments. You need contracts. You need people willing to ship product through that pipeline in order to make money off it. Absolutely. And, and the irony of Premier Kenny's statement about, you know, he's pointing to changes that the federal government made to require an analysis of both the upstream, so the induced new production greenhouse gas emissions, as well as the emissions from any increased burning of fossil fuels that would result from the pipeline. He says, oh, Prime Minister Trudeau required this, and that's why TC Energy walked away from Energy East. But they had to do that same analysis for Keystone XL. So if they were worried about that kind of analysis, why would you cancel a project only to stand behind one that required exactly that level of analysis and has required it since it was initially proposed in the U.S.? Yeah, so it it doesn't make sense, the idea that that's uh, uh, um, an insurmountable obstacle for a pipeline project. So TC Energy was willing to to do that. It's going to be awful. Right. Unless you think the report is going to be so terrible that, you know, Canadians and and politicians will stand up and say, no, we cannot sign off on this project because of these this massive increase in greenhouse gas emissions. Like that's the only reason you should expect that the requirement to disclose those or to report on those would lead you to say, you know what, I'd rather take a multi-billion dollar loss and walk away from this project. When it comes to the Gulf Coast, there, there's a lot of refiners in the Gulf Coast, and, and they can take Alberta bitumen. There, there's the potential to export from the Gulf Coast. There's, there's a lot going for that as a destination. What was the thinking behind Energy East originally? Was it about supplying eastern Canada? Was it about taking the long way to, to a tidewater, as it were? What was your sense? Um, well, the basic play was, I think, three pieces. Number one, the fact that the other pipeline projects, both Northern Gateway to Northwestern BC and Keystone XL to the U.S., were held up or stalled or canceled in the regulatory process. The second piece was that TransCanada's gas pipeline network going to Eastern Canada is underutilized. And so this present you had essentially had pipe in the ground that you could buy for a fraction of the cost of installing new pipe. And Going east gave you, yeah, a refinery market, but it gave you a route that perhaps would be easier from a 
regulatory and political point of view to get to, even though it was longer geographically, to get to a port where you could export uh, crude off the East Coast. Because I've, I've often heard proponents make both arguments, and I, I think at some level they, they contradict themselves, that, you know, this is a great opportunity to get to, to coast to, to be able to export, and also this is about displacing American oil or, or Saudi oil. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do either of those arguments hold up to you? Oh, I mean, I think if you had a pipeline that connected Alberta to St. John, you're going to change the trade dynamics. And if you had that that served Quebec City as well, you're going to change the trade dynamics in that corner of, of the continent. All of a sudden, you've got a million barrels a day of crude oil available in that market that wasn't there before, whatever the, the end capacity of the project would be. So it changes things around. But that doesn't necessarily mean we wouldn't import uh, certain types of crude. We still see the Gulf Coast is a great example. We see them exporting certain grades of crude and refined products, and we see imports both from Canada via pipeline and from other markets, including Saudi Arabia, moving into those southern U.S. markets. So you almost have you know, tankers crossing in the, in the ocean carrying different types of crude or crude for different suppliers or under different contracts. So, it, you know, you'd see some changes, but it's not as simple as saying, as soon as we built this pipeline, I guarantee you wouldn't have any Saudi crude flowing into St. John or to, to Quebec City. I mean, yeah, look, if we want to boycott Saudi Arabia because we don't like Saudi Arabia, I mean, that, that's a different kind of conversation. But it does seem odd to me that, that we, we recognize the importance of exports, and, and yet we, we seem to bristle at the idea of imports. Do we want to have our cake and eat it too here? I think that's, that's a, a really strong point, right? The reason why we export crude and the reason why we've historically exported crude to the U.S. mid-continent and imported crude on the East Coast was because that was the in-the-money trade. You could sell your crude at a premium in Chicago and buy relatively, for the longest time, relatively discounted crude on the East Coast. And so it wouldn't have made sense for us to say, you know, we're going to cruise right on past this really high-value market in the middle of the continent only to supply uh, our own market out in, in St. John, both parties would be better off. Albertans were better off selling to the U.S. market, and St. John would be better off purchasing on the world market. It's a long way to St. John, too, right? <laughs> and, and obviously that, that, that poses some, some problems for, for a pipeline. So how much, how, much do, uh, how much does geography factor into the economics of all of this? Um, well, it... it it matters, of course, in terms of your shipping timing and also the cost of building a pipeline. And that's where that existing pipe in the ground. Dennis McConaughey has written a, a nice book on, on this from TransCanada's perspective, talks about it shrinking the geography, that you could build a pipeline to St. John for a lot less because of that existing pipe in the ground. If you were going to build it brand new from, from the start, it would be prohibitively expensive to go to St. John as opposed to going to the Gulf Coast. But because that existing pipeline is there to the Ontario-Quebec border and the Ottawa River Valley, you've got a, uh, a head start, so to speak, that makes it viable from a, you know, if you just said, I have 20 bucks a barrel I want to ship, or, well, I guess 11 on long-term contracts, uh, you could do that with that existing pipe in the ground. You wouldn't be able to, to do it with uh, if you're building from scratch. But in terms of the price we get, if, if we're just looking at, at the numbers, are we better off shipping to the Gulf Coast than to the East Coast? Uh, 
Shipping, the, the big question is how much is the pipeline tool to get there? The pricing patterns, once you get uh, to the Gulf Coast or the East Coast, aren't going to be that different. They're both going to be markets where you have some, for, for heavy crude, you don't have much coming into the East Coast right now, but you trade at something reasonably comparable to the Gulf Coast market. The difference is that it's probably going to cost you a couple more dollars per barrel to get there, to get to the the port and then onward to a heavy oil-capable refinery if you're shipping via St. John. And so that translates to a couple, $3 a barrel, maybe even more of an additional discount on Alberta crude here in Alberta. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, already saying, well, wait a second. I remember back in July and Sonovus announced that they were going to ship oil all the way down through the Panama Canal, all the way back up to New Brunswick. And boy, wouldn't it be easier to do so if we had a pipeline. So what, what did that decision represent? Well, I don't know the ins and outs of that particular contract or that particular trade. Uh, I've seen different explanations from it for it for different people, but that's not a, a sustained trade pattern that we see right now because simply there's a really good market for heavy crude on the west coast of the U.S., and there's a really good market for heavy crude on in the U.S. Gulf Coast. So even if you've made it through the Panama Canal to come all the way up to eastern Canada, that trade simply, you know, generally is not going to make sense right now on a long-term basis. If you're in eastern Canada, you want to buy light crude, buy it out of the Gulf Coast, as a lot of our uh, refineries do, move it up by tanker. It's going to be cheaper than buying it in a relatively expensive market, Vancouver, and shipping it all the way around to the Panama Canal. So my sense is that that was more tied to securing and, and finalizing some permits and getting a transaction under a new permit than it was about a new and emerging trade flow for Canadian oil. And obviously, we're, we're waiting to see what um, happens in the United States after November and after January next year. I mean, is it possible that if Donald Trump was the one who killed Energy East, that Joe Biden could be the one to revive it? Potentially so, although... If we look out, you know, the, the Premier Kenny yesterday or early, yesterday or earlier today talk, talking about this, you know, price recovery that he sees somewhere in the, in the next year. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's betting strongly against the market. I'm looking at where the market's trading right now. You know, you've got to run out to sometime in late 2027 to start seeing prices on the forward on the futures market above $50 a barrel. If you go out even as far as 2030, we're still seeing oil trade at around $55, which is lower than what the government forecast for this year for Alberta's budget. So there's no sign in the market of this strong recovery. I mean, maybe the, the premier sees something that the oil traders don't right now. But, you know, if you got back to a world where we had, you know, 70, 80, $90 a barrel oil and thus the growth in the oil sands that would come with that and an inability to build pipelines south, then yeah, an East Coast pipeline becomes your likely your best other option, which is what it looked like when TC Energy proposed it when they did. It was the only option available to them in a world where oil sands was growing rapidly and the world was willing to pay to get oil out of Western Canada, even if it meant going all the way to St. John. But there's a lot of pieces that have to come together for that to be the reality. And, and I'm sure, you know, many in Alberta, Premier Kenny, not the least of them, would love to see us back to a world of 80 plus dollar crude we'd be in a less challenging fiscal environment etc but 
you know, looking out at that, I think what uh, it, that's not a bet that looks like it's likely to come uh, come back positive right now. Well, we'll leave it there. Andrew Leach, appreciate the insight uh, as always. Thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Thank, thank you so much. Take care. Andrew Leach, uh, professor, uh, associate professor uh, at the uh, Alberta School of Business, University of Alberta, energy and environmental economist, and his thoughts on what actually happened with Energy East and the economics of all of this. So there is that potential that if uh, Keystone XL becomes dead once again, that that could open the door to another potential pipeline project in Canada. Because don't forget, we've still got line three, the project that, that goes to the United States. Trans Mountain, as we mentioned yesterday, looking good uh, in terms of completion by the end of 2022. And having those two projects would go a long way. But there will probably still be room for another. Keystone XL, I think, is the best bet. But what's our plan B to that? 974-8255 is our number here. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.